Welcome to the CultureWise Podcast, where God's good news meets the Latter-day Saints with wisdom and grace. Here we aim to discuss topics relating to how followers of Jesus can more effectively reach Latter-day Saints in their relational networks. My name is Daniel Shugart, and I am joined today by Sarah Rudd. Well, Sarah has been living in Utah for some time, and before that had bounced around with a background of um, mission and engaging the lost. And so I'd love to hear about um, your experience in some of that, and then how you moved out here and experienced the culture, and how you're engaging it even today. So Sarah, what can you what can you tell us about um, your your early years, first kind of discovering Jesus's call to mission uh, and engaging people with the gospel? Yeah, great. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, I grew up, my dad was a pastor, and so I was born in Alaska. They did church planting in Montana, and then we also lived in the state of Washington. So as a young child, I was following around my pastor parents and just learning about Jesus from a young age. And even as a young child, God began speaking to me about missions, and I devoured uh, missionary biographies and just learned a lot about ministry and cross-cultural ministry. When um, my parents told me when I was 13 that we were considering moving to Mexico, I was like, yes, let's go, because I was excited. I wanted to do missions. So we lived in Mexico then all my high school years. So that was um, a really formative experience for me, learning how to relate to people who speak a different language, have different cultural uh, norms, beliefs, mannerisms, um, just I was an outsider, right? And so learning how to live where you don't necessarily belong historically. Mm -hmm. So um, through a series of events, by God's grace, I ended up going to college at Westminster College in Salt Lake City. Uh, And that's when I first moved here 30 years ago. And I loved Westminster. It was a great experience. And in that moment, I realized okay, I, I moved from being an outsider in one culture, and now I'm here and I'm, I'm an outsider again with my LDS friends, um, just some employment situations, all sorts of things. I realized, okay, this isn't the America that I typically think of. Mm-hmm. This, is a, this is a different place with unique beliefs, culture, language, history, uh, even food. You know, I'm like, yeah. okay. Yeah. <laughs> so... In, in my college years, I just have always loved Jesus and loved people. So I start ministering to people and sharing the gospel and leading small groups and leading worship and just all the things we do as disciples. And um, then just during those years, I said, I want, I, I love this place. I care about LDS people. I care about my friends and neighbors. How can I um, just bring them into the fullness of the freedom of Christ? So that's kind of my background. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you first moved to Utah, did you initially see it as a mission field or were you thinking of it more as this is my college education, this is where I'm going to learn for me? Yeah, honestly, I uh, my college education was actually intended to take me to be an ESL teacher. Like I wanted to go back on the field. Oh, yeah. And so I wanted to study ESL and just go back to foreign missions and just through a series of events, long story short, I just, I just had a heart for this place and ended up here. And 
um, just as I met my husband in college and we just, we ended up here. And I think that was God uh, bringing me here because of having a missions Mm -hmm. uh, perspective instead of a, maybe a traditional church planning um, paradigm. And so um, I just, I feel like God wanted me here. Mm-hmm. So that's how he got me here. I did not want to come to, I was trying to get back to the Seattle, Washington area. Yeah, yeah. But no matter how hard I tried, the favor, the open doors, everything was here. So I had to, you know, we, we make our plans, but the Lord directs our steps, right? <laughs> yeah, certainly. And how were those early months and early years as you were first discovering the culture in Utah? What, what were some things that you saw and noticed that made you realize, oh, this is a, a cross-cultural mission field? Yeah, um, uh, this is just a funny story. Mm-hmm. I was on a field trip with I, I had to take the bus everywhere because I didn't have a car. And so I was constantly asking for directions everywhere. And the directions that everybody would give me were, you know, there's uh, turn left at the stake center or uh-huh. turn right at the ward or just that's when I started realizing there's different language. And I was on a field trip with a bunch of friends in a van and somebody gave me directions in in this van. So everyone's hearing the conversation, you know, just go by the stake center. And I kind of exclaimed, I was just like, where on earth are all the steak centers? And why do people in Utah eat so much steak? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and the bus or the van, just like everyone started laughing. And it, it was embarrassing, actually. Right, like, right. In the moment, I was like, what did I say? And then they just start telling me, no, a steak center is where different wards meet. And so that's probably one of those language moments. Um, there was a moment when I tried to get a job and someone asked me what which ward I was in. Mm-hmm. And I was like, excuse me. She was an older lady. I said, well, I don't understand. And she said, a ward. And I actually had not ever heard that term mm-hmm. before used, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 19. I was just like, I don't, I don't know that word. And I did not get the job. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. And so those are some of those moments you're like, okay, how I, some people can take that as rejection, Mm -hmm. but I'm an extrovert. I'm social. Actually, I'm not sure I'm an extrovert, but (laughs) I'm, I'm social and I want to relate to people. And so I very early on said, how can I get past these hurdles and connect with people. Mm-hmm. And so I immediately learned little words or phrases like, hey, I'm not LDS, but I'm friendly. Or I'm not <laughs> yeah. LDS, but I have faith in Jesus. And I I learned quickly to, instead of taking it as rejection and withdrawing, to say, hey, you know, I care about you as a person and I respect you. I'm a person of faith. Mm-hmm. And so immediately... And this is probably that missions background. I started trying to build bridges. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what? how would you describe your approach to, to engaging with Latter-day Saints now? Uh, um, so over all these years, I've been here now 30 years. Uh, my approach has changed in, in many different ways. Um, the one thing that hasn't changed is kindness and and building bridges with people. You know, when you live in a, a, a foreign country, you realize people are coming to you with all sorts of assumptions and 
all sorts of ideas about who you are as a, an American. Mm -hmm. Like I, I said, I lived in Mexico. So that was hard when people treat me as the American they see down at the beach or the American yeah. they see on TV. And I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm, my, I'm my own American. <laughs> and so those assumptions, um, when I came, I, I realized I don't want to be treated that way, so I'm not going to treat people that way. I'm not going to have assumptions about what my LDS friends and neighbors and students and think. So I immediately um, said, you know, kindness and love mm -hmm. and listening are key. Uh, the other thing that's developed over time, and I've just had language recently or the last several years, is um, I, I appreciate you guys have been talking about experience in previous episodes, mm -hmm. how important experience is to LDS uh, people. And so one of the words I use is um, we look for love encounters, power encounters, and truth encounters. Yeah. And when I'm with an LDS friend or relating to an LDS friend, I say, what do they need right now? Do they just, do they just need friendship? Do they just need unconditional love? Do they just need someone who's not going to assume the worst about them or assume that they know everything about them? Do they just need just love, unconditional agape love? Or do they need a power encounter? Like, are they looking for an experience with God, maybe outside of their tradition and their mm -hmm. context? Or are they looking for truth? Do they, is there some understanding that they want to have that is new? So um, it's just depending on the situation and the timing. I'm just asking the Lord, what, what does this person need? If they, if they need truth, I'll look for something in scripture. I'll because we share that. We share a love for the Bible. So I've been reading this passage, and this is what God's been speaking to me this week. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you think about this passage? Or if it's power, I'll, I'll often do an invitation to prayer. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's one of my favorite things is to look for, for an opportunity to say, can I pray for you? Like right now? And that just opens doors that are phenomenal. And because I think prayer reaches into an emotional, experiential yeah, yeah. Power, encounter, power encounter place. And my favorite thing, every time, I mean, I've been doing this for 20 years. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember the first time we did this with some visiting missionaries, they were like, we can feel the spirit in your house. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, the Holy Spirit is just everywhere, isn't he? He's just so good, following us everywhere, wanting to work. And they were like, what? How's this happening? And I was like, <laughs> we love Jesus. Yeah. yeah. And um, so I love those prayer. And then it also happened last Thursday at my house. So I've just got years of seeing prayer just really touch people and then just love loving people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how have you come to see these three categories? Um, where, where did you get those three categories from? Well, um, it's in just some discipleship materials that we have that we use at our church. And so I learned it from someone who discipled me. And you can look at it in the Bible. Um, if you think about uh, Acts 8 with Philip in the Ethiopian eunuch, 
you know, the chariot's running, is cruising along and Philip is transported. So I guess that's a power encounter, but (laughs) um, that's not exactly the, the moment though is the truth that the eunuch is like, I'm reading these passages from Isaiah and I don't know what they mean. Mm -hmm. And Philip says, Hey, let's talk about them. So there's this truth moment that kind of opens that up. And then, um, then there's the experience of being baptized. Right. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of a, and, and Philip came in love. Like he, he met that person where they, Philip didn't come with those assumptions of what the Ethiopian needed to hear. Mm -hmm. Philip recognized the Holy Spirit is doing something here already. I'm going to stick to the passages that the Ethiopian's reading. Right, right. And and speak to that. And so that's a truth encounter. It's love. And then it's also experiential, just that baptism. So that's an example. Another um, example would be Jesus with Nicodemus. Uh, that was truth. Jesus is explaining what it means to be born again and um, what judgment looks like, what eternal life looks like. It's just a beautiful passage of Jesus giving Nicodemus some good, good doctrine. So that's a truth encounter. And then love, I mean, we just see that over and over again. I heard Ross talking about um, Jesus' encounter with a a leper Mm -hmm. where Jesus, we know Jesus could have said the word, but instead he touches the leper. How often do some of our LDS neighbors just need a touch? Yeah, yeah. A touch. So a hug, whatever it is, I don't know. But those are just kind of some examples of love, power, and truth encounters and wanting to be aware that we need all three. And they they touch one another, right? But one sometimes opens the door mm-hmm. for a deeper work. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me more about the role of prayer in the way that you've been engaging with Latter-day Saints. Yeah. Um, I just, over time have just realized uh, there's a real hunger and thirst for prayer. Um, I'm part of uh, some Multiply Goodness Bible studies where we do Bible studies to get LDS women and traditional Christian women. We do Bible studies together. And I always ask if we can pray. And and I've been actually doing Bible studies with LDS women long before I knew about Multiply Goodness. Uh And I would just ask, can I pray? And I remember one Bible study, they would always say, you pray, you pray. We like how you pray. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and again, uh, I've, the Holy Spirit is at work in their lives, so I will often pass the baton back to them and say, no, it's your turn to pray this week. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's also what Jesus did with us. He said he would pray. He taught us to pray. And then he's like, now you go teach people to pray. And yeah. so I do that a lot in our studies where I'm like, okay, it's your turn to pray. And um, I've just, they're learning to pray. And uh, recently in another study that's in our church, I'm not actually part of it. There was a woman who uh, went through a traumatic experience. And afterwards she told the leader in that group, she said, I would have, we, when this traumatic experience happened, I started praying right away, just just praying, kind of like her heart just crying out to God in a very uh, difficult, challenging moment. And um, 
she said, she said, I wouldn't have, I would have waited till Sunday to get a blessing from someone. Instead, I started praying now. Mm-hmm. And that just made my heart sing that not only when I pray for people, are they having an experience with God, like in my home, around the table at a Bible study, or I, f- I remember praying for another woman we were we just finished lunch and she was just pouring out her heart and I was like, Can we just bring this to Jesus? Yeah, yeah. And she said, Yeah. And I said, like, Can we do that in prayer? And she's like, Yeah. And I said, Okay. I just started praying for her. And when I finished, she's like, Can you write that down? Can we write that down? Can we record this? And I don't ever want to forget this moment. And yeah, so yeah. I went home and I sent her a record uh, written prayer something along the lines of what I had prayed in the car. And, <laughs> right, right. and I was like, now she has that. But but um, I lost my train of thought a little bit there. But in every context, if you're in the car with a friend after lunch or you're at your table or doing a Bible study where we're teaching them to pray, I mean, how does that not open up the heavens, God's heart mm-hmm. to people if they're praying and asking to experience him in a way outside of their typical context. Mm-hmm. Um, I recently had um, a, a, a gentleman come to my church and say, do you remember me? And I was like, uh, I don't quite recognize you. And he's like, 20 years ago? And I was like, remind me. Wow. <laughs> and I said, do you have a picture of 20 years ago? <laughs> And he's like, you gave me this Bible and you wrote a prayer and a blessing in it for me. And I still have it. And I was like, well, where have you been Wow! <laughs> all yeah. these 20 years? And he said, well, I've been living out of state. And I said, well, what's your faith journey been? Because I'm trying to piece, I mean, 20 years, it's like he was a teenager. And now yeah, he's, yeah. He, you know, and he said, um, he said, well, 20 years ago, I found faith and now I'm back. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, I think the Lord in that moment that our church building was still there, <laughs> I think the Lord, that he still had his Bible and that prayer and that he's been holding on to that. And I also think the Lord, because sometimes we can grow weary in sowing seed. Like, I'm just like, I sow seed everywhere, wherever I can. And, and we don't always get to see right, right. How, it, how it's being nurtured or watered and growing and you know, this was just two weeks ago. I was like, "Thank you, Jesus, for bringing him back here," and um, and that I get to witness that the seed we've sown um, bears fruit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can we can like theologically know God is at work. Of course, we know it, um, but it's another step to really have the belief, like, "Oh, I I truly believe in my heart that God is at work." And then it's an incredible gift from God to see those glimpses of, oh, oh, I see how it is that God has been at work. And that's such an encouragement to me. I, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so thankful. I mean, God is in kindness. He leads us to repentance, but in kindness, he touches us as leaders and believers along the journey. I'm just, God is just incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it also sounds like you've had a lot of people in your home. You've been very hospitable. People over for meals, prayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are some ways that you've used hospitality in engaging with Latter-day Saints? Yeah, hospitality is so key. Uh, relationship Relationships are just so important. And 
I think it's very easy, you know, as pastors, as leaders, unfortunately, as ministry leaders, you know, we can, we can even sometimes become transactional, which is so Mm -hmm. sad. Like, I just, I repent of that all the time (laughs) where like, I want to preach the gospel and see someone get baptized. You know, that's because, because Jesus tells us to go and make disciples, um, but I think sometimes in a missional approach, we have to have um, a long-term perspective. And um, Jesus was so kind. He he preached to crowds. He loved uh, even Judas. Mm-hmm. He loved Judas unconditionally, even though Judas would ultimately be a betrayer. Mm-hmm. And... I think in, in my ministry, I just want to love people and and see what God does instead of thinking of them as uh, people to be reached or won or brought to my side. And uh, one way you can do that is just by opening up your life mm-hmm. to people, sometimes being vulnerable with them, um, working with people. I know so many church leaders in Utah were by bivocational. And I know that's really hard because um, I know that's hard because leading churches takes a lot of work and organization and communication, but there's such a gift in working with people or maybe coaching with people or um, doing arts with people or golfing with people. I don't know, whatever it is you do, rock climbing, you know, whatever it is you do, we just, is I just feel like God wants us to be with people. And so hospitality isn't necessarily just having people in your home. It's just doing life mm-hmm. with people. So um, we just had lots of people in our home. Book clubs, my favorite thing. One of my favorite moments was to join a book club, the Ward Book Club. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was at a time when we lived in uh, Provo or on the Provo-Orem border. And so there were a lot of BYU professors in this book club, which was so delightful for for me because I'm such a learner and they were so (laughs) educated. And I had one one very (laughs) interesting time. Um, Well, this is an interesting story um, where I was just part of this book club. And then three years later, we moved to uh, Salt Lake, back to Sandy. And... um, I have some friends who are window washers. Okay. And they bought a book of business in Orem. So this is like, I'm not kidding, three years later. They're down in Orem, actually in Provo, washing windows. And this woman and the husband just love to talk to these window washers about Jesus. (laughs) Yeah. And they were LDS. And he introduces these window washers to the wife. And the wife looks at them and says, "Um, do you guys any chance you know Sarah Rudd? <laughs> Just by chance. <laughs> Just by chance do you know a woman named Sarah Rudd? Because they were talking about Jesus, and I had talked about Jesus. And they were like, yes, we go to the same church wow. as Sarah Rudd. And she says, I knew it. She said, the same spirit on you is on her. No way. <laughs> and they're like, how do you know her? And she said she told her testimony in book club. Hmm. 
And so these window washers come back from Provo, see me at church. They're like, do you know this woman? And I was like, yeah, you were in book club with her. And they tell me that story. And I'm like, that is mind blowing. Cause I don't once remember ever telling my testimony yeah. in book club. I, I'm not even sure what that means. Right, right, right. <laughs> what did you say that they heard as a testimony? I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea, but that's just an example of, I guess, seed being sown and um, just stories of, of how God um, brings it to life. So I don't, I don't know if I got off our original question. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect, though. Yeah. Yeah. So I've heard you describe um, that, that as you're engaging with people, you're often looking for where God is at work and looking for a person of peace. Yeah. Um, wh- where did you get the idea of looking for a person of peace? And, and how do you describe that process of looking? Right. Right. Well, from my missions background and the missions uh, biographies I had read, uh, there's a missiologist, I don't know, from the 80s or 90s, I don't know. He has two really cool books. One's Eternity in Their Hearts, and the other one is Peace Child. And in there is this concept that, I mean, he would go to unreached people groups with no Bible translation, no knowledge of Jesus whatsoever. And he would study the culture and stories of that ethnic group. His name was Don Richardson. And and say, um, from Ecclesiastes, it says, God has placed eternity in the hearts of men. So he knows that this people group has a longing for eternity, right? And so how is God speaking to this group? What are the stories they tell that point to Jesus? Mm-hmm. And so I think those books really impacted me as a teenager, honestly. And then uh, Luke 10 when Jesus sends out the 70, he's like, you know, look for the house of peace, look for the person of peace. And so I, sometimes I think in evangelism efforts, um, as Christians, we can just, we can just want to bop people with Bibles and give them the four spiritual laws and like, repent, repent. And we can just come across really harshly instead of saying, oh, Lord, where are the people that are hungry? Where are the people who are thirsty? And um, I, the woman at the well, to me, Jesus wanted to go to Samaria. Mm-hmm. We, that was very clear. He's like, no, we're going to go through Samaria, disciples. And it's like he's sitting there waiting for that person of peace mm-hmm. to show up, who ends up being the Samaritan woman. And... um that's that's what I want to do. I think um, I, wherever I am, I'm like, there are people here who are hungry. There are people who feel lost. There are people here, probably within arm's reach, who want an experience with Jesus that is different than what they know. Holy Spirit, will you just highlight them for me? And I think it starts with the hospitality and it starts with the uh, being open, sitting on the front porch, standing in the driveway, lingering at the soccer field, hanging out at the playground, um, letting the work, the work lunch go long. Mm-hmm. And it's usually a question. If you are showing that kind of genuine love for people, they will usually ask me the question. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes I'll... 
I'll see if there's something I can share or ask, Hey, this sounds really hard. I know you're, you're LDS. Would, would, should we pray? Cause I know you believe in Jesus. Could we pray together? So often it's prayer yeah, that yeah. opens that other times. It's just, uh, um, just waiting for the question. And then when people ask a question, I'll pause and wait. And this has shifted in the last 10 years. But 10 years ago, I really had to pause after I'd shared something about Jesus to wait till they asked for more. Otherwise, they'll shut, they would shut down. Hmm, interesting. Because they're fearful of what is this? I don't know. They don't want to be proselytized, right? Sure. They don't want to open that door. So I would just be very gentle and wait. Now I can be a little bit more bold because there's such an interest right now in mm-hmm. evangelical Christianity and experience that is pretty exciting. So I can be more bold now, but I still want to be such a listener when I'm uh, talking with people. Mm-hmm. Right, right. I, I've sometimes heard it described as kind of like treasure hunting, that we're yes. looking for the treasure of where God is at work and we're not controlling other people. We're just trying to join alongside what the Lord is already doing in people's hearts. And so we we need to be listeners. We need to be listeners of God to to hear where he's leading. But we also need to be listeners of people to hear them express what God is doing in their hearts. And and they often don't quite have the language to say it the way we would want to hear it. Um, and, And so there's discernment as we listen to understand what is God doing in this life. And God provides people of peace. Um, they're out there. And so our, our, our task is to look and to find them and connect them to Jesus however we can. Mm-hmm. So how have you, how have you seen um, people who are leaving Mormonism and maybe they're a part of your church or you're just interacting with them on some level, how have you learned to, to walk with them to actually... Um, disciple them and help them follow Jesus and live a life with him. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure there are many uh, types of people um, who have left or are leaving the LDS church. I, I feel like I've ministered to people, just um, people, you know, they are um, just strong LDS followers, leaders even mm-hmm. in the LDS church. And then I've ministered to people who left 10 years ago and are still kind of wandering and um, maybe really angry and maybe even anti-faith. And so, and then there's everything in between, which is um, so interesting. So my approach with people in the LDS church is just to be like, you, you want to follow Jesus and I want to follow Jesus. Let's follow Jesus together. But for the people who have maybe left the LDS church to those who are um, really anti-faith altogether, um, another approach that I think a lot about is the stages of grief or um, things about grief where um, I've just witnessed friends who maybe they're first coming out of Mormonism and they're like, they're kind of in shock that there, there is a moment where they're kind of like in shock, like what has just happened? Or it's especially painful for people where a spouse mm-hmm. has maybe just left 
the LDS church and they're still really strong in the church, that is such a um, vulnerable moment for people that I just really want to be aware that they're in shock. Um, and then the other spouse might be um, in anger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the one spouse or the one who's still there might be in denial. Yeah. And so you're just you're just watching this grief process. And then the people who um, have maybe left years ago and maybe they're just coming into faith again, they, and they're discovering the beauty of Jesus and the wonder of Jesus and the freedom in Christ. And, oh, my sins can be forgiven. I can do something with this guilt or there's hope, you know, that, but they can, they can go into anger you know, they might have been angry all that time, but they kind of stuffed it away. Oh, sure, sure. And I just think no matter where they're at in this process, and we know about grief, that shock, denial, bargaining, anger, depression, they, they can be, they can, each one of those can emerge at different times and in mm-hmm. different cycles and in places you'd least expect it. Mm-hmm. Um, for example... Uh, a, a woman doing a Bible study with us, and we all had different versions of the Bible or different, even just formatting of the Bible, and we all turned our pages at different times. Yeah. And for this one woman, it it triggered her, and she just started she started crying. She said, "Oh my goodness, we all turned our pages at different times." And she said, "I'm used to all of us turning our pages at the same time, uh-huh. and that sound." So you hear this about grief when somebody um, maybe loses someone like a sound or a smell or will trigger grief. For her, it was the turning of the Bible pages. Just was like, I'm in a new community of faith. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I mean, it was such an auditory experience that reminded me she's in this vulnerable grief cycle. And... um, I just want to be a good shepherd, like like the good shepherd of Psalm 23, just leading her from pasture to pasture, anointing her head with oil, um, helping her, preparing a table for her in the presence of her enemies, you know, the fear, the anxiety, the, I don't want to be um, deceived again, mm-hmm. all those questions that LDS people have. I think as as leaders and pastors, we really have to be aware of the grief cycle. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing we do. Um, I don't know any other. <laughs> yeah, you shared with me a, a document yes. that was really interesting, and I, I'd love to hear more about it. So on on one side of this document, that it, there's a list that describes how someone who um, has the heart of an orphan or someone who is maybe in a legalistic Um, religious experience might approach God. And then on the other side is how a person might approach God um, from the position of being or having sonship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we know that grace is a, is a challenging topic to talk about with our um, LDS friends because they have some understanding of God's love, unconditional love for us. But um, And I would say this is true also of us as Christians. Mm -hmm. And um, this is something I often say to my LDS friends, to build a bridge and to have empathy 
and to um, walk in humility, honestly, because we can so easily get caught up in religious cycles, even as Christian believers, it's easier to follow a list of rules, right? Mm -hmm. It's easier to just say, if I do A, B, C, and D, I'm good. But as believers, we know that Jesus calls us to a level of relationship mm -hmm. with him that requires listening and, and obeying in a different way. It's relational. And um, so... I will share this document uh, with my LDS friends once they've um, started following Jesus, um, when they're farther along um, in their process, because sometimes if I show this them the difference between legalism and love and grace, if I show that to them too soon, they, they really can't absorb absorb it. So this hmm. is a tool that I give people when they're quite a bit farther along. This is also a tool I use for Christian people who want to put religion back on. Mm -hmm. um, LDS, people who've come out of Mormonism, because we can do that. We can put religion back on them if we are not careful. And, oh, God forbid, I don't want to do that. And so I use this um, document to help process, like, what is our motivation for service? Is my motivation for service to, um, is it to perform? Is it to find favor? Is it to, um, is it to get approval to be justified? Or is my motivation uh, for service, is it love? Is it a desire to give what's been given to me? Mm -hmm. What freely I have received? you know, freely you have received, freely give it away. You know, I'm misquoting that scripture, but I just, I want to freely give the unconditional love that's been given to me. I want to give it away. I don't want to serve my neighbor because I have to. Mm -hmm. They, they know that they know that, and they don't want to serve because they have to. And so, um, that's a, a particular point in that document of huge freedom. Mm-hmm. Uh, I recently asked a gentleman from an LDS background if he would be willing to help um, with one of our service-oriented ministries. Mm -hmm. And I, I approached him carefully. I said, I recognize in the past you may have been told you have to do this or um, um, that in the past maybe you had to work seven days a week um, in your religious context. And I said, so it's really important to me that you not say yes to this mm -hmm. because you feel like I'm calling you. Right, right. And he was like, oh, my goodness. He said, you have no idea how different service is in my new church context. He's like, I love the way this ministry is set up. It's called Care Portal, It's if, if anyone's interested. And the way we use – lots of churches in Utah use this ministry um, – serve with this ministry mm -hmm. and we're one of them, but um, it's for orphans and widows and it's just a really cool ministry. And the way it's set up is so that people, they, they only have to respond when they can. Sure. Instead of being said, you need to do this, you know? So it's, here's an opportunity for service. Would you like to participate? And he's like, I want to participate and he's going to help us start leading it. Mm-hmm. Because the motivation for service is to give willingly, to give freely, 
and not because you have to. Mm -hmm. So under legalism, we have to give because we have to fulfill the law. Mm-hmm. Under grace, we give out of worship and joy. Yeah. And yeah. this document goes through just several, um, how do you view scripture? How do you uh, view accountability even? Are, are we interdependent or are we independent? Um, how do we view God? Is he a taskmaster that we have to please? Or are we like kids? Like my kids come to me <laughs> in, in all, the best thing that happens is when one of our kids comes to Aaron and I and is like, I, I just, I made a mistake or something's not right or I have mm-hmm. a problem. I mean, we're just like, yes, yeah. come to us in the worst places, come to us in the best places. And um, I recently shared this document with someone who's farther along in their journey and and they couldn't make it through halfway. She said, I was raised to be a slave to law. I was raised an orphan fighting to get what I can get to prove myself to strive and not because I'm just a child who can come to Jesus and receive. Mm -hmm. So it's a helpful document and it's also good for us as believers to be like, I don't want to bring you into this either. Yeah, certainly. Right. When when we're born again into this living hope that we have, we're given this sonship. And it's it's a new identity. It's who we are now. But so often our minds and our hearts are stuck in the old way of life, the old self. Um, and so I, th- I think this document is really helpful. Uh, I, I think probably some people will just have, w- when they put their trust in Jesus, they were immediately transformed in some of these areas. Mm-hmm. And those aren't, those aren't challenges that they face. Whereas other people, even after some time of following Jesus, will see this list and, and be shocked and say, oh no, I'm, I'm still operating with the heart of an orphan or the heart of a slave and not the heart of a son, even though I know that God has made me that. So I think this is really helpful. Um, we'll, we'll certainly upload a link um, to this document in the show notes that so that listeners can also um, take a look at it and see if it would be a helpful tool um, for their, their discipleship relationships with people in their lives. So Sarah, tell me, what, uh, what are some ways that you can encourage listeners um, to learn from some of the lessons that you've learned? Yeah, I recognize that your listeners are um, ministry leaders. I know that I'm going to recommend this podcast. I just met someone who moved here two months ago uh, for ministry, and I, I'm certainly going to say you got to listen to Culture Wise <laughs> so that you can get a pulse on uh, mm-hmm. what it means to minister to, to people here. It's not like the Northwest, you know, and it's not like the Bible Belt. It's uh, We want you to hear this, but I think... The number one um, thing that I would would say to people coming is don't um, to come in as listeners, listeners uh, um, to the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit is saying, and then listeners to the people that you're building relationship with, the people that you have at your table um, or you meet at work or wherever Mm -hmm. it is. just to come as listeners, um, to put down assumptions. We, c- we can read books about 
uh, ministry to Mormons and all of those are ministry to LDS people. And that's such a good thing to do because it'll teach you history. It'll teach you uh, what other ministers before you have seen and learned. But every person is unique. Yeah, yeah. And the Lord is at work in their life. And um, there's a, do they need a power encounter? Do they need a truth encounter? Do they just need a friend? What is it they need? And uh, just come prepared to listen and learn first. And then see what uh, the Lord wants, where the Lord wants you to go next. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an amazing encouragement. Yeah, even just to remember God is at work. We can trust that. Yeah. Um, uh, we, we need to go find it and see so that we can rejoice in what the Lord has done and is doing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining today. I really appreciate your insights and the way that you've um, you've learned and grown as you share the gospel and even walk with people who are now leaving Mormonism and, and truly following Jesus. So thanks for coming today. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Again, this is the Culture Wise podcast where God's good news meets the Latter-day Saints with wisdom 